Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LaysightNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today we're going to be tackling the issue, once again, of euthanasia and assisted suicide in Canada. Those of you who listen to this show regularly will know that we've had quite a number of conversations on this issue. We've talked to Alex Schadenberg of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. We've discussed how best to talk about this issue with my colleague Blaze Elaine, who co-authored the book, A Guide to Discussing Assisted Suicide. And anybody who reads LifeSite News or really any alternative or secular media at this point will know that assisted suicide in Canada has turned Canada into an international cautionary tale. We're seeing almost a non-stop drip, drip, drip of euthanasia horror stories. We're seeing a medical body out of Quebec advocate for assisted suicide for children with severe disabilities under the age of one, which of course would be involuntary in those circumstances. We've seen a parliamentary committee actually formally advocate for children or minors, they call them mature minors, uh, to be given access to this, even if it means it's against their parents' will. This is directly in the parliamentary recommendations. And of course, we're seeing a nonstop train of stories of people who are opting to access assisted suicide because they simply can't afford to live in Canada. In fact, The Spectator which is one of the UK's oldest publications, actually had a headline called Why is Canada Killing Its Poor? And it's really staggering to consider the implications of where we're headed on this. In Canada, we've now delayed assisted suicide for those with mental illness just for a year. But the Justice Minister, when talking to the CBC, uh, David Lametti, made crystal clear that this was not a cancellation of the expansion. Uh, This was definitely only going to be a delay. And so, as such, in less than 12 months, those who are struggling with depression, suicidal ideation, other forms of mental illness will have access to assisted suicide. And at that point, the horror stories we're seeing now uh, will only be just beginning. We're already seeing... um, Uh, Children demand answers as to why their parents, without their knowledge, could opt for euthanasia because they were depressed and lonely. Uh, We've already seen one family say uh, that a hospital in British Columbia killed their brother. Uh, They admitted him for mental health struggles and he ended up uh, accessing and then receiving uh, assisted suicide. He was given a lethal injection. And we are going to see children with depression uh, access assisted suicide against the will of their parents. And some of the stories we're going to see, I'm saying it now, are going to be absolutely horrifying. Consider the level of helplessness that you would feel as the parent of somebody struggling with depression when the government, when the medical institutions tell them that they can in fact commit suicide. And then in addition to that, that the medical profession will, with the government, both sanction and facilitate their suicide, even the report indicated, in the home while the parents stand helplessly by. There will be nothing that they can do. And even to me, how fast we've gone in Canada on this issue is is just staggering. I wrote a chapter uh, on assisted suicide in my book, uh, The Culture War, which was published in 2016. And I was looking at the Netherlands and Belgium 
and the slippery slope there, and warning that we could end up where Belgium and the Netherlands are, or where Switzerland is in a pretty short amount of time. However, we have surpassed them in just a handful of years, and the Trudeau regime is aggressively pushing the expansion uh, of assisted suicide for reasons that one hesitates to wonder about because of how awful the things that are taking place are. And to discuss that, I had a conversation with a man named Les Landry. He's a senior from Medicine Hat, Alberta, and he has been very vocal and public about the fact that he is applying for medical aid in dying, better known as assisted suicide, uh, in order to end his life because he can't afford to live. Now, his name might be familiar to some of you. He's been covered in many different publications. He's been published in the UK's Daily Mail, uh, many different Canadian outlets, including the Globe and Mail, and a variety of other newspapers have covered his story. The National Review has covered his story. Global News, The New Atlantis, The New York Times, uh, Bridge City News, and on and on it goes. He is just one of a number of examples of impoverished and disabled Canadians who say that the made regime essentially targets them. Uh, in fact, people like him uh, are, of course, in the view of the government, often a burden, and as such, people like him are feeling pressured and pushed into assisted suicide. And so I, I had spoken to him late last year to ask if anything could be done about his situation. At that point, he had been running a GoFundMe, which could be donated to, which he has since taken down. But he agreed to talk about what he is facing, talk about his life, talk about what has pushed him into making a decision that he is still trying to get approved for here in Canada. This is his story. All right, Les, I've read your story now. Uh, from yourself on Twitter. I have seen you quoted by many outlets here in Canada. And I guess just to introduce yourself and the dilemma that you're facing to all of our listeners, I'd like to start off by asking you to give us a bit of a background on your story, uh, who you are, where you're from, and why you're facing this situation. Well, my name is Les Landry, and, uh, and um, I pretty much worked hard all my life. It, uh, I wasn't one that was born with a disability. My disability developed a uh, um, I used to drive truck and I developed a, developed a hernia and I, I mean, a year and a half down the road, we know what our, we know what our, our, our surgery system is like a year and a half down the road. I went for surgery for a simple hernia operation uh, and I was allergic to anesthesia. My blood pressure climbed to 270 over 160. I was basically walking dead. I had, had three strokes and I developed epilepsy. Developed epilepsy, and from that point on, I, I knew I'd never be able to drive truck again. Um, I was in my early fifties, too old to actually be able to retrain for anything. Um, the three strokes, I lost my cognitive, I lost my, my short-term memory, and uh, I, I was introduced to the MAID program, and or not the MAID program. I was introduced to Age, uh, which is basically the provincial disability uh, benefit. Um, uh, age was age was good for me. I mean, uh, naturally, you're not going to get rich. I wasn't expecting to get rich, but I was comfortable. You know, I had I had uh, I mean I had enough and had enough revenue to cover my day to day expenses. Uh, the big thing is though, I had I had my my disability benefits. My medication was covered. Um, I had medical transportation. I had a service dog allowance. Um, the special diet, 
and other needs. I, I go to Lethbridge every every six weeks for back injections, and age would cover everything. They would cover my service dog going into the kennel. They would cover a taxi to and from the from the motel to the clinic. They would cover everything. Um, and I lost that. I lost uh, the 100% uh, uh, medication coverage. Now I'm in a program where it's a 70-30 split. Um, and uh, I lost all medical transportation. I lost any form of service dog allowance. I lost my social. I lost all my disability benefits the day I turned 65 years old. Why? And because I turned 65. Like, like all of a sudden, I can magically get out of this wheelchair and go run the Boston Marathon. And, you know, like Minister Cotter there, she stood up in the House of Commons and she said two things. She said, uh, first off, um, people with disabilities have a higher cost of living. That's come they're working on this so-called Canadian disability benefit. Um, and I call it the Canadian deception benefit. That's what I call it. But it took 20 months from the first, from when they draw, first reading of made, took 20 months to get Royal Assembly. Why have they been working on the Canadian Disability Benefit since 2015? I mean, if they could push through the MAID program in 20 months, and they're, they're I mean, the, we still don't, Canada still doesn't have a, a federal Canadian Disability Benefit. After when? Seven and a half years? Seven years? So anyways, I lost my, lost my disability benefits. Um, and I was pretty vocal that I'm seeking made because I simply cannot afford to live. I cannot afford uh, to maintain uh, my, my, my disability. The other thing Quattro said is uh, um, that the Canadian disability benefit will be, will be based, on, based on the GIS for seniors, guaranteed income supplement. That's false. I mean, guaranteed income supplement has nothing to do with your ability or your disability. Somebody beside me with no disability can get, actually, I don't even get a full GIS, but somebody beside me with absolutely no disability can be getting a higher GIS than me. No, when I was in Lethbridge there uh, last week, I had to spend $400 for new batteries for my wheelchair. So the person with the higher GIS than me that doesn't have a wheelchair, does not have that expense. So for Quattro to stand in the House of Commons and mislead Canadians that, that seniors with, with disabilities don't need, the, don't need this disability benefit, um, is, is, it's, I don't know what the word to use, but it's, it's, it's rather sad that, that you would mislead Canadians that this is how seniors are being treated in this country. Seniors with disabilities are being treated in this country. So I sought MAID. I uh, filled out the application. And uh, within, I mean, with, I can't remember, but probably within a week, I had, I had a doctor sitting in my house. And like when we think about when, when was the last time a doctor ever did a house call? And it just... Uh, I had a doctor sit in my house to, to assess me. And I can understand that they want to come to your house. They want to assess not just the person, but the lifestyle. So I can understand that. Um, and he approved me. And then the second doctor that came and seen me, he didn't approve me and he didn't deny me. He said, because I have a mask going in, in my abdomen. 
and uh, I mean, a year and a half or almost 18 months ago or not. 20, anyways, May and June of, uh, I forget what year, I was basically given three to five months to live. And I've done a complete lifestyle change and I'm still here fighting the odds. Um, so the second doctor that came, he said that he wanted to um, research my condition about this mass that's growing in my abdomen. And apparently they can't operate on it. And uh, I kind of took that as a rejection because I pretty much I, I took the attitude that I'm not going to go through another two years of testing that I just went through. You know, I mean, I was tested and I was told that it's, it's not going to be operable. I was told that, that my time is limited and I am in constant pain. And so then when I phoned and I said, I want a third opinion, I'm entitled to a third opinion under the made rules. And uh, they sent the same doctor that basically reserved his decision the second time, the second doctor. And he came and he said, he says, yeah, I'll, he says, I've done the research. And, and he says, you're, you're right. He says, you know, like this is any, I forget what he called it. He said, we can't operate because it would just come back. I said, well, how long will it take to come back? Like, is it two years, two weeks, two months? And he said, we don't know. I said, well, you know, if you operate and it's, it's not going to come back for another three years, it might be worth going through the operation. And he said, he said, well, that's not how the healthcare system works. So, I mean, it just, so, okay, let's just cut this guy's life short rather than doing the surgery that might extend his life. So, that's, but, but then we give the option of maid. So anyways, I contacted the maid office because I wasn't hearing anything. And they were, they were, there was no, I mean, I was leaving full message. As a matter of fact, they just phoned about an hour ago. I was leaving full message after full message after full message. Finally, I got rather upset because it says, leave a full message. We'll call you back the next business day. I got rather upset. And I said, listen, I've been leaving full messages now for two and a half weeks. Nobody's called me back. But I want to know what the status of my application is. And they called me back. The lady called me back. And she said, quote, the second doctor denied you. I said, well, that's not what he said when he left my house. He left my house and he told me that he was going to approve. So the first doctor approved me. I was told by the second doctor that he approved me. So there's the two doctors that approved me. And now you're telling me that the second doctor denied me? Maybe I should get these approval letters, get letters of approval when they're here. Because apparently what he told me and what she's told me, they're two different stories. I said, but either way, I'm still entitled to a third opinion, and that third opinion should not come from the second doctor that reserved his decision. I am still entitled to a third opinion. And she says, oh, we're going to send it to the medical review board. Well, what's that? Um, I think, personally, that it put the government in a very, very tight situation because I was so vocal about the poverty issue, and yet I'm a person with some severe disabilities. You know, I was. I was given three to five months to live uh, almost two years ago. Um, so do they, do they grant, do they grant the made process because of my disabilities and ignore the disability and ignore the poverty issue that I've been so vocal about, or do they, or do they ignore 
my disabilities and deny me based on poverty. Yet, it's, I mean, you cannot separate the two that poverty is not related to the disability. I mean, you can't separate it. Even, even the federal minister of people with disabilities have said people with, the, people with disabilities have a higher cost of living. So how can you separate poverty from, from disability? And um, I have a serious issue with, with, with Trudeau standing up in the House of Commons and saying this, this is a human right for people that qualify. Well, for one thing, a human right is a right. You should not have to fill out an application for a human right. I don't have to fill out an application to be able to go into the mall with my wheelchair. I mean, a human right is a right. So to have to fill out an application to, be, to have access to your human right and then to be denied your human right based on that application is wrong. And, and, and Prime Minister Trudeau should not be deceiving the Canadian public by that fact. People say, well, human rights, well, he's just it. So, I mean, he, it's, it's, it's a play in words. So we've, we've talked by phone before um, about your situation. And one of the things you've said that I really want to get into, because it's stories that we're seeing unfold in newspapers, not just here in Canada anymore, but around the world, stories, yeah. stories just like this, is you have said that the only reason that you're seeking made is because you can't afford to live in this Canada. Yes, I have said that. Now, you've also said that you believe Canada's made regime, and I think you're very clearly right, targets people with disabilities. What do you mean by that? Well, and I've said, I've, I've said it from the start. If you are going to expand made, if you're going to, you have a duty and a responsibility to also expand the benefits and improve the quality of life for the people you are targeting, and they are targeting it. When you, when you take a small group of uh, a minority in society and say, we're going to offer you the opportunity to kill yourself. We'll do it for you, but you're going to make the decision. So we're going to give you the opportunity to kill yourself. And they've never expanded the benefits. They still have not expanded the benefits, like I mentioned before. 20 months to, to, do, to do the homemade process. And here we've been, we, they've been working on the Canadian disability benefit for since 2015. And by the way, if you're over 65, you're not eligible for the Canadian disability benefit. Once you turn 65, you are no longer a person with a disability. Regardless of spending your life in a wheelchair, regardless of a number of other issues, regardless of uh, your expenses, you are not considered a person with a disability. Now, can somebody please explain that to me? I mean, when I, if, if I fill out the Canadian census and ask if I, if I got a disability, my answer is yes. I'm not going to say no because I turned 65. Uh, somebody asked, I mean, it's obvious I have a disability. I live in a wheelchair. So what does somebody who has a disability turn 65 as you did still needs help on everything from batteries for a wheelchair, a new wheelchair, the treatment to, to manage your disability. What is a Canadian in your position supposed to do after turning 65? I do fundraising. I do, I do fund me. I have a lot of support on social media. So that's, I mean, so you're on your own. Pretty much. 
pretty much. I mean, like the four hundred dollars that cost me for batteries there in Lethbridge. Yeah, I put it out there on Twitter, and and I did get a lot of support that that covered it. Um, my dog went in for a surgery there last Friday, and uh, and I did get support to cover it. Um, you know, and it's people look at that, and you know, they, they think I'm scamming. No, it's uh, you know, like so you're you're pretty much in a no-win situation. Um, when you're on age, it just, I mean, age paid for my, paid for my bed, my, my adjustable bed, age, age paid for the trampoline for me to be able to lift myself out of the bed. So, I mean, so there's no, there's no governmental option to have any of the sorts of things you're referring to covered. Well, there's, there's a provincial program called the senior special benefits program. It doesn't cover everything, and it's kind of a blank, blanket policy. So where I may have expenses of a service dog, they don't cover it because, because it's not part of the policy. Um, they will cover part of my trip to go, go into Lethbridge for my back injections. They'll cover enough gas to go there and halfway back. Uh, they'll, cover the, they'll cover the motel, but they won't cover meals. They won't cover the taxi to and from the motel to the clinic. Because after I get the back injections, I'm not allowed to drive for 24 hours. As a matter of fact, uh, I could be charged with impaired driving if they found out I just came back from the clinic for back injections. I could be charged with impaired driving. So seniors' benefits, their their plan was this, to drive my van to the clinic and, uh, and, and sit there. I'm supposed to sit in my van for 24 hours. And then they said, uh, we'll pay for the parking. I said, oh, and by the way. The parking at the clinic is free. So their logic, like, uh, um, and so it's, it's very tough for me to, I mean, I phone, I phone a couple of social agencies in, in Lethbridge to drive me to and from the clinic. Um, one time I actually drove my, drove my wheelchair there and back. So I don't know if I could be charged with impaired driving on my wheelchair. I don't know, but, um, I mean, a taxi from the clinic to the motel is $30, $32, actually. So, you know, they would say, well, Les, you can cover that. No, but the problem is it's $32 here. It's $40 there. It's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, it's not the elephant that's going to kill you. It's the ants. It's, it's a little bite here out of your budget. It's a little bite there out of your budget. You know, so... Um, and I consider myself a person that can budget pretty good. So, I mean, it's uh, that's what I said. Uh, uh, when I was on age, I was comfortable. I knew what my budget was. And, uh, it, I mean, it stayed the same. And so my budget stayed the same. It was very easy to manage the budget. If, if your revenue is staying the same, if your expenses are covered, I don't know what, I don't know what my expenses are going to be next month. I don't know what my expenses will be next week. Um, maybe my chair will need a, need a, a tire next week. Like, you know, like it's, uh, maybe that maybe they'll change my, maybe they'll change my medication. That's not covered under blue cross because my even undercover, even under blue cross, there's a 70, 30 split. They don't cover a hundred percent of it. So I got to pick up the slack. Uh, there is a bit of a program with, with seniors benefits. Um, where 
apparently I pay a $45 a month deductible. But I mean, it, it's not something that you submit your paperwork every month. They want you to submit your paperwork once a year. So what are, there, there are many people currently in your, in your situation, because you're one of, you're one of a handful of people who's been willing to tell your story publicly, uh, to speak to, to media and people like myself about your situation. Um, yourself and several others have been forced to go the fundraising route because there's no other option. There's no other social safety net to, to get you what you need. What do you think the reason is behind the fact that it's taking years for the federal government to move on the disability assistance you need, but only 20 months for MAID. And again, they've, they've only delayed an expansion of, of MAID to people with suffering from mental illness due to massive overwhelming pressure and, um, to be frank, the number of stories from people like yourself coming forward. Well, and it's, a, you, you know, you, if you want to talk about mental illness, I suffer from a very serious form of PTSD. I've had numerous uh, suicide attempts. Um, my PTSD started, and uh, some people may not believe this, my PTSD started when I was four years old. My mother put my arm through the ringer of washing. So that's a pretty serious trauma for a four-year-old to live through. By the time I was nine years old, because there's no love or compassion at home, by the time I was nine years old, I went to the guy across the street who showed some love and some attention. And he just happened to be a pedophile. So I put up with that attack for two years. And, you know, you don't come out of a situation like that without livable scars. Um, my, my PTSD has taken me to places no human being ought to go. By the time I was 23 years old, I was on the skids of Winnipeg drinking Lysol. So most people um, do not make it alive out of where I was. Um, so, and I still carry, to this day, I still carry the scars of that. So I've had numerous PTSD suicide attempts. So when I hear about the expansion of mental illness, first off, there's a lot of mental illness out there that can be treated. Uh, schizophrenia can be treated with, with, with proper medication. And, you know, depression can be treated. Um, anxiety can be treated. And, and I'm not trying to to diminish people suffering from these issues. No, the suffering is horrifying. Right. But, you know, in most cases, I should say most cases, in some cases, there is treatment. Um, I have not found any form of treatment for my PTSD other than my serious blood. Um, so if MAID was available to me when I was 18 years old on Skid Row, I may have uh, taken that option. And I mean, I, I've had several suicide attempts in my life. So but, uh, one of the things you've said several times, um, you said it to me on the phone, you've told journalists reporting on your story is you've said that the only reason you're asking for MAID is because you, you don't have the supports to live. And, you know, you've just described um, it's, it's just awful to hear the number of things that you've been through in your life. And even after having suffered all of that, the thing that is tipping you over the edge to apply for MAID is not even specifically because of those things. It's because you simply can't get the support that you need for. Oh, like I, I've lived with complex PTSD my whole life. Mm -hmm. 
So as bad as it is, as bad as the trauma, as bad as the triggers are, you know, like to tell you the truth, I cannot remember the last time I went to a day without the thought of suicide. And I have a YouTube video out there uh, talking about that. Also, have a YouTube video about uh, the the attack from the pedophile. I've lived with that my whole life, so that's not a reason for me to seek aid. Uh, like I said before, I mean, I I made a very good living driving truck, which is a perfect job for somebody with PTSD because they just want to be alone. Um, and then I ended up on age, and and my life was manageable. It's a yeah, I could afford to go to Tim Hortons, like you know, like I could afford to go out. Um, and then I lost my benefits. I lost uh, once I turned sixty-five. I'm no longer a person with a disability. I still have my I still have my PTSD. I still have this mass in my abdomen that's causing pain twenty-four-seven. I still live in a wheelchair. That the, the mass put me in the wheelchair. I still have my epilepsy. I still have an, all the other COPD, and I could keep going. So, and the issue is poverty. I don't care. I, I mean, I have no idea how the government can exclude that from a made application. The issue is poverty. Restore the disability benefits for seniors with disabilities. Restore the disability benefits, and and I'm sure you will see this. You will see, you will see seniors with disabilities. Um, not suffering because um, I don't know how many other seniors are vocal about it. Most of them, most of them live in silence and isolation. And you know, like we hear, we hear of a lot of cases of people with disabilities seeking aid, but we don't hear very, very many cases of somebody that's sixty-five years old that had disability benefits and was doing relatively well, was livable. And have lost them benefits, and now seeking now seeking aid. So, is it because of the disabilities, or is it because of the poverty that's created by losing the benefits that the Canadian government is 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 trying to tell people that they're working on? Okay, and even if even if they do come out with a Canadian disability benefit, I'll be I'll, I won't be eligible. Quattro, the minister already said it's going to be for working people of working age. And apparently seniors don't need it because we get a GIS. I already explained that GIS has got nothing to do with your ability or your disability. So for her to say it. What you're saying is that the that made applications from seniors with disability are coming at the direct as a direct result of a government policy. I, I all I can do is speak for me. I have no idea what the numbers are for seniors uh, seeking made. Uh, I imagine uh, a lot of them would would be because of uh, because of intimate death. I have no idea what the numbers would be of seniors living in poverty because they lost their benefits. I can only speak for me. I'm not a spokesperson for for any group of people. All I can do is tell my story. And yes, I'm seeking made because because of poverty. Because of poverty. I mean. The response, the, your but story the has been told now in a lot of different media outlets. What has the response to your story been? From the government? Just from the people who have read your story, because I know journalists have called you. I know it's been published a lot of places. So has the government responded to it all? I'd be surprised if they have. No. I mean, uh, there's been a couple of, of members of parliament 
that has uh, referred to my story. They didn't name me, but they have, they said a senior in medicine at Alberta is seeking me because he simply cannot afford to live. She did not name me. That's a member of parliament out of Lethbridge, I believe. I can't uh, recall her name. Um, she's not even my member of parliament. Um, but directly um, from uh, from any form of government or government policy, no. What about from the, what about from the public? Pardon me. What about from the public who've read your story? I I uh, I've had very good uh, very good uh, uh, very good response from the public. I had uh, I had a, a husband and wife, a family in Anamo, British Columbia, that. Uh, that wired me a thousand dollars, and uh, and they said that, that they told me to start a GoFundMe, and they would they would disperse it in their their group. I guess they're tied to a, a religious group or a church, or and they would disperse it through that. And I did do a GoFundMe, and I raised ten thousand eight hundred and thirteen dollars, which to some people may seem like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money. Um, do I waste? Did I waste it? No. I mean, uh, first off, I was I was very much in debt with with a lot of my a lot of my bills. Um, the van that I traded in for the van I have now, I mean, it wasn't even paid off. But I had to deal with that. Um, I was behind on my rent. Um, you know, so it uh, it's easy to say, "Well, he should still have that." Well, no, not when you're trying to get caught up, and uh, and plus, I did help. I did help three people with it. Uh, I had a thing about people fighting poverty, where I was taking the donations and giving it to people in crisis. So I did help three people. One of them was Joni and and in Windsor. Her and I had done a show with with the with a, another outlet. Um, there was another lady in. Uh, are you there? There's another lady in uh, in uh, a small town, Alberta, uh, and uh, gave her a thousand dollars. There's another lady in in Edmonton, Alberta, and I think I gave her about nine hundred dollars. So, I mean, um, and I felt rather guilty because the people were donating this money to me to help me. But it's like, it. Uh, what are you doing? You know, like people are people are struggling, and. Uh, so, like all of the ten thousand eight hundred thirteen dollars didn't just come to me. So, and yet people are people are throwing that at me, like you know, like you know, like I guess people people that aren't 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 aware and they want to judge and like. So. Um, so what can people what what can people do to help you now? Um, they can lobby their government. They can they can lobby their government that's saying. Is this the Canada? This is not the Canada I grew, I grew up in. This is not the Canada I think that we should be treating not only people with disabilities, but also our seniors with disabilities, our seniors that help build this country. I mean, I drove truck. I worked hard. I mean, like when I drove truck, I mean, my deductions is like $3,000 a month. And, you know, and I was happy to pay it. I was happy to pay my share. So, like, I mean, most Canadians do not know that how seniors and seniors with disability are being treated. They, they just feel, well, okay, they get, 
you know, like seniors, they get a good pension. Like, like Quattro says, they get the GIS. And Quattro actually said that people with disabilities that are on government uh, provincial programs can't wait till they turn 65. Like, then they're going to get their GIS. Like, it's a great panacea to everybody's problems. Well, you know something? My revenue is about the same. Maybe different, I don't know, about $100. My revenue that I come in is about the same. When I talk, when I talk about my, my, my CPP, my OAS, my GIS, my revenue is about the same. Okay? Oh, and then there's a provincial, a provincial bill benefit too. So my revenue is about the same. The, the, the big problem is this. I lost the disability benefits, and that has probably cost me anywhere from four to $600 a month. When you when you start to when I mean when you when your revenue or your benefits is about eighteen hundred dollars a month, which is way below the poverty line already, and then you then you're struggling with disability benefit. I mean that just I mean like how how do they expect anybody to survive? So you know back back to the maid. Um, Somebody asked me, "Where's where's it going to stop?" Now, if we look at if we look at government, and the reason why they expanded made is because for financial reasons. So, where are we going to stop? And I said, "Well, you know, we're probably going to stop with prisoners. I don't know if it's going to stop there. I can see a, a, a court where the judge saying, well, is there? I can sentence you to fifteen years in jail, or I can give you the made option. I can see that happening. I mean, we had we had a group in Quebec that." Wanted to kill babies. I mean, how do you get consent from a from an, a, a, a six day old child? Yeah, and that was and that was a that was a doctors group too, not just a group of lobbyists. That was just some lobbyists. That was, and it's like, what's his name, Stephen Hawkins, one of the most brilliant minds on our in our lifetime. Hey, can you imagine if they would have killed that man at, at birth? And we could go on. Uh, you know, like, I, I, so why, you know, like, we, we look at, it, 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 there, was a, there was an article that came out about how much money they saved. And now we're hearing about, about organ donations. Uh, so are, are we killing people, people in poverty to supply organs to the rich? I mean, like, for, for us to even think about that. So why are we doing this? Well, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, I look at it this way. Government is like business. So uh, like any business, when your revenue stalls, I mean, governments, they, I mean, they can't tax anymore. I mean, the, I mean, they're taxing the air we breathe. They can't tax anymore. At what point does the, does, does, does the break? Where people, say, people are saying now, hey, we're fed up with being taxed. Take your carbon tax and stick it. Like, you know, like we're tired of being taxed. So if the government cannot increase the revenue, what do they do? They have to cut costs like any other business. So where do they cut costs? Well, the people with the less voice, with the, the quietest voice, the people that aren't organized in the masses. Yes, we have a group here, we have a group there and there. But for the most part, um, people without disabilities, they don't want to hear about it. It's like they're afraid of it or it might be contagious, or because they're, they might be susceptible to it, that they might end up with a disability tomorrow. So they don't want to hear it. So so it's like when the government says, um, 
we're going to give to people with disabilities as a human right, for people that qualify, as a human right. Well, where's my human rights? Am I supposed to go through life with living with this pain, with this constant pain? Man, I have a, I have a bottle of, of morphine behind me. I'm afraid to open it because part of when I was on Skid Row there, I was, I was also playing with drugs, serious drugs. So I don't know if anybody knows anything about addiction or, or alcoholism. I mean, if, if I start taking the morphine, somebody says, well, yeah, maybe you can learn how to manage it. No, I can't because I'm a drug addict because I'm an alcoholic. I could smoke in eight years ago. I think both of us would know what would happen if I picked up a cigarette. And, you know, yeah, I've got 42 years of sobriety. And, you know, maybe I could pick up one or two beer, but it wouldn't last next week. I'd be, you know, like, maybe I could drink one beer today. Is it worth it? Is it worth me opening up that vial of morphine? And geez, yeah, maybe I could manage it. But the thing is this, once you're a drug, once you're a drug addict, it's not just, it's not just the, 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 the excitement of the, of the high of the drug, there's also a tolerance that, yeah, I'll give one morphine tab today. I work this week, but next week it'll be two, then sooner it'll be three, and then it's just going to turn into another serious addiction where I don't think I want to deal with that at my age now, at any age. So um, it, uh, that's not the solution. That's not the solution to, to the level of poverty that uh, that seniors are living in, uh, seniors with disabilities are living in. So you ask, what can be done? I'd like to see people uh, get a hold of their member of parliament and start writing letters to the editor and start saying, hey, this is Canada, and we should not be treating our seniors this way. We should not be treating anybody with disabilities this way, especially our seniors. Um, why are we not part of part of the Canadian Disability Benefit or the Canadian Deception Benefit, which I call because they always seem to fall off the table just before an election? Like um, it's before the Senate now. Maybe we should start contacting the senators and say, "Hey, listen, why are we excluding seniors with disabilities just based on age?" You want to talk about human rights? Let's talk about discrimination, there, Prime Minister Trudeau. If I mean, if you can justify all this by human rights, let's talk about discrimination based on age. So that's what's happening here. Just because I turned 65, I'm supposed to be kicked to the curb. This is Canada. So, you know, like, what's the solution? Well, I don't think an election is going to help, to tell you the truth, whether it's provincial or federal. Some, pe some people are saying that that uh, benefits are provincial, and I agree with that. And I really believe that the feds uh, made a mistake. When the feds done their throne speech back in 2015, they never should have said that they're going to be working on the Canadian disability benefit. What they should have been just saying is because they know that the, they know the jurisdiction for people with disabilities and that all the disability programs are provincial. And that's the problem. What they should have said in the throne speech is we will work with the provinces to enhance uh, disability benefits for all people with disabilities. That's what they should have said. And they could have funded it, fund it through the through the province. Or better yet, you know what they should do? Because Quattro keeps standing up in the legislature, says this will eliminate poverty. No, it won't. If we're going to have a poverty, uh, this, if, if they really want to, to 
eliminate poverty and get out of the get out of the jurisdiction of provinces, they could they could introduce uh, the poverty reduction plan. And regardless of disability or not disability, if somebody's living in poverty, they should be lifted up above the poverty line. If a lady, if if a, if a female leaves a domestic situation where her life, where it's a life or death matter, and she grabs her two kids and flees, and she's got no resources other than other than some form of, of, of welfare, so is she going to raise them two kids in poverty because she doesn't have a disability? So if we really want to do something about disability, let's let's introduce a disability reduction plan and lift all people up out of this, out of, uh, out of poverty. Dolphin Manitoba done, done a, a universal benefit program. Dolphin Manitoba, uh, I forget what it's called, coin coin something, um, and it was successful. People say, well, what about the abuse? Well, what they found was um, there wasn't much abuse. There was less abuse now than, than what's there was less abuse then than what's happening now. Um, once people started feeling better for better for themselves and were able to groom themselves and and actually buy a wardrobe, and most people want to contribute. And these people, they went out and got jobs, and the healthcare costs came down, the policing costs came down, the justice costs came down, and and basically it paid for itself. So if we could do that in Dolphin, Manitoba, there should be no reason why we can't do it across Canada. So let's 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 scrap this Canadian deception benefit. And I don't care what anybody calls it. That's what I call it, Canadian deception benefit. So let's scrap that and introduce a poverty reduction plan. And and it, it, it's quite simple. Who's qualified? Well, let's look at let's look at somebody's tax returns. Obviously, if my, like myself is getting eighteen thousand dollars a month, whatever works out to twenty one grand a year or whatever. Obviously, I'm in poverty. So they can't say that they need the paperwork from the provinces to know who's in poverty, because that's they tried doing that. They done not only did they try doing it, they did it. They did it with the COVID relief benefit for people with disabilities with the six hundred dollar one time fee, by the way. And what they and they stood up at the podium and 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 once again told the uninformed Canadians how they helped people with disabilities uh, work through the COVID. Well, the truth of the matter is they excluded 76% of people with, dis people with disabilities with the COVID disability bed. I know a family in Windsor, Ontario, where the mother, both of them have disabilities. The mother got the $600 fee or $600 benefit, and yet the daughter didn't. So because the daughter didn't, she, whether or not she had the, the disability tax credit, or, she, or I mean, the first time around, I was excluded. Because I let my disability tax credit expire, I didn't need it, and I was excluded. And then uh, uh, I guess the NDP said, "No, we got to change this." And uh, and so then they came out with a list of people with a CPP disability, and there's there's all they they expanded it, okay? And so that made me eligible for it. But I mean, there was seventy six percent of Canadians with disabilities that didn't get a nickel. Uh, and, you know, like Trudeau and Quark, they didn't tell people that when they took the podium. No. So most people, most people are not aware. You know, and, and we can't blame them. I mean, we can't blame Canadians. For, I mean, they, they look at, they watch the news and well, geez, that's good. They're, they're looking after people, right? But they don't have the full story. So, you know, it, people with disabilities. Are, are treated like garbage. Uh, 
at, at, at the provincial and the federal level. I mean, the UCP here in Alberta, what's the first thing? Second thing they done. The first thing they done is they repeal, repeal the carbon tax. The second thing they done is they de-index age. So right now, age the age level right now should be one hundred forty dollars a month more than it, more than it is. Now, given the times and given the inflation that we're facing, that one hundred forty dollars a month is a lot of money. You know what I mean, uh, that is that is the decision of. Um, do you pay? Do you, do you buy laundry soap or do you buy box craft dinner? So, I mean, people having to wash their underwear with a bar of soap. I tell you horror stories about how people are surviving. And that's like people find poverty. I mean, uh, since since I started that and it, now it's shut down, um, I, I helped 17, over 1,700 people. And it was $20 here, $30 there. So, and that's why that's why I'm a strong believer in a un, in a, a poverty reduction plan. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for taking the time and sharing all of this. Thanks for having me. You know, it's uh, I believe that that the only way people are going to be informed is if we stand up and we tell. Them. I mean, we cannot trust this government. We cannot believe this government when they stand up and they say we've helped people with disabilities and we're working on a Canadian disability benefit, then it's going to eliminate poverty. And like, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, you, you could put all, all the icing on, 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 on whatever. It might not be a cake. So, I mean, it just, it, it's sad. It's sad that we have a government at that level or any government for that matter uh, that, that is so deceiving. I believe it. I believe that only the lowest of the low would use people with disabilities or for political or personal gain. That's what we're witnessing, and, and people don't know it. Only the lowest of the low would use people with disabilities for personal or political gain. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my interview with Les Landry, a senior from Medicine Hat, who is currently attempting to get approved for assisted suicide. Anybody who is interested in getting updates on stories like this can head over to LaysightNews.com and then you can click on the podcast tab where you can subscribe uh, to this show or you can check out past shows. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that this interview was enlightening, sobering, yes, but also enlightening, and hopefully will convict all of us to do something for those in our communities and also to push back against what we see coming down the pipe. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you.